0: this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. This this podcast is going to be all about remote stuff and Malud Sicarelli, Did I get it right? Yes. Cool. All right. Um, it, your entire focus is on remote work. I mean, that's like your whole career right now, right?
1: It is my whole career right now, and I'm very happy to be sharing whatever <laughs> it is you're going to ask with your audience.
0: So for those of you that are working from home, you're probably thinking my career is all remote too. But Maloud's actually somebody that started working on this stuff way before the pandemic was even something any of us were thinking about. So how long have you been making this kind of your main thing?
1: Oh, making it my main thing has started since 2016. However, it started because I noticed that I always worked remotely. I just acknowledged it in 2016 and started my own business and started helping other agile coaches, project managers, and generally businesses to learn how to work remotely effectively and collaborate together.
0: But that's sort of an odd thing for somebody who does agile coaching to be completely remote, isn't it? I mean, at least back then.
1: Indeed. That is the core of where everything started. Do you want me to share that story? Yes, please. So here I was in the autumn in October of 2016, and I was sitting in a cafe sipping my nice cup of tea that I had ordered, and having a personal retrospective. So for those of you who are Agilists, you are familiar with the concepts of retrospective with a team. I also had my own weekly retrospective where I looked back at what I had done and where I was going. And it hit me on that day that I had been working as a software developer, as a software tester, as a scrum master, a product owner, an Agile coach, and never had I ever had a co-located team. And I wondered why it was that all the literature in Agile, all the courses in Agile were promoting co-location as a necessity, as a prerequisite to agility. And it was that moment that I thought, we as the Agile community have failed to respond to the change that is the nature of our work. The nature of our work has evolved into being more distributed. So it is our job to respond to it and acknowledge it as a reality. So that's what I did. I was very hesitant at first to put my ideas out there, but once I did, it exploded. My first conference, Remote Forever Summit in 2017, I thought it was going to maybe be booed by the Agile community, but in fact, we had 2,700 registrants that year, and it has only grown. In 2019, we had about 10K. Wow. So it all came together because I dared to acknowledge that remote working was the reality that we were living in. And as a community, as a global community, we had failed to acknowledge it and respond to this change. So I'm, I've made it my mission to help educate and empower the agile community to learn how to work remotely.
0: I think that idea of accepting reality is a really big deal because most of the people that I know that are coaches would still be arguing that like, well, yeah, we have to do it, but it's not what you're supposed to have. You're supposed to have a fully dedicated team all in one space, only working on one thing. And I don't even remember the last time I saw anything like that in in play because it's always people spread across countries or floors in a building or know whatever and we say it shouldn't be that way but it is so do you do you find a lot of resistance from from purists and stuff like that like you thought you'd be booed I mean are people just kind of like sneaking in and saying yeah I got to figure this out or um yeah
1: okay. yeah that that is indeed th- that is the fear that I had however I tell you that in the first uh remote for summit we I actually managed to invite some of the Agile Manifesto authors to say yes and support the idea. And it was repeated the year after that. And when people saw that the Manifesto authors were behind this idea, the resistance of many of them was lowered. They could listen and hear from the actual initiators of the Agile movement what they meant. And they all agreed that it was the change that we were responding to. Many of the Manifesto authors themselves work remotely. So that's an interesting caveat to that. But I still get messages from people who tell me that they don't believe that remote work is, is something that we need to embrace or celebrate or anything like that. They say, if you... Well, I actually had recently talked to someone who I was interested in hearing his ideas. And one of the things that he told me was, well, I would never support remote working. And I thought, why is that? And he said, because I think that if people are not going to an office, they're just being lazy.
0: Wow! I thought,
1: wow, that is (laughs) profound. (laughs) And then I thought, I I shared the results with him of some studies that have shown that people are distracted in the office and therefore their productivity is low. And the opposite studies that show that remote workers before the pandemic have been more productive after they went remote. And he said, well, then their offices are not designed well. And I thought, okay, uh, yeah. we probably don't have much to talk about by <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, or at least not much you could fix there. So I want to talk about that that part of it in a second, but before we do, I just want to comment on on one thing that you said. I think that that permission thing is a really big deal. I mean, you've got people coming in the past couple of years and to this conference as well, speakers that are coming that are thought leaders in the space, and I would imagine that a lot of practitioners, what they really need is permission. They need to be told, like, it's okay. You know, you this this is a thing, and we need to just get on board with it and accept that this is, you know, the new way things are going to be, and it's probably not going to go back to the way it was.
1: Indeed. Did, Actually, one of the feedback that I got the first year, which was the, the scariest year, like, right now I'm not not scared anymore, right? I've done this like, <laughs> three times before, and it's the fourth time I'm doing this conference in 2020. But I remember in 2017, as I was putting pulling the pieces of putting a conference like that together and seeing how many people were signing up, like the scope was growing and it was very scary. I remember one of the feedback that really stood out for me was from a gentleman in the US who came on camera and he told me, you really moved a needle for me. I realized wow. that remote working is not a challenge to be Come, to To come over, it is a change that needs to be embraced, and yeah, that that has stayed with me, and he knows it. I do. I, I still am in touch with the guy, and I do tell him that that really re- meant a lot to me, and it kept me going.
0: So that's sort of interesting. I mean, I would think that for I, I'm come I come from a project management background, um, like PMP and all that stuff. So, for from that side of my brain. Not a big deal, but the agile side of my brain is just—it's been hammered into me. Like we have to be together. We have to be together in one room. Um, That's—that's a lot to overcome for a lot of people, I would imagine, to let go of that.
1: That's correct. We assume that we assume that because of the Agile Manifesto, because the Manifesto literally says the most effective way of conveying information is face to face. So we just accepted that, and we never questioned it.
0: So I, I wish I'm smart. You can't, we, we turned the cameras off for the interview, but I'm smiling right now because I had this whole plan about what I wanted to ask you and now you just changed it. Oh, um, uh, so, I'm so sorry.
1: Go, go no, no, back it's okay. It's though.
0: good, it's good. It's like all these opportunities open up and I'm like, oh, I'm going to ask about that next. So um, face-to-face is a really big deal. And one of the things that, that we talked about that I said I wanted to, to get your advice on, um, this is me actually asking this question. As somebody who used to teach in person, who now does everything remotely one of the hardest things that I had to come to grips with in the beginning was realizing how completely dependent I am on all the social cues and body language and all the information that I pick up just by just feeling the energy of being in a physical space with a bunch of people and now I don't get that at all. I mean, I've trained myself that when I'm doing this stuff, I need to stare at the camera and not at the screen. So I never really know how people are reacting to this stuff. Um, For somebody who is going to be coaching or leading or interacting with others, what have you learned about that kind of information, that sort of non-spoken stuff um, that, that people should be aware of that they don't already know?
1: That's a very good question. Uh, I'm contemplating on the answer so I don't mislead you. There is, there is a fundamental difference between online interactions and in-person interactions. And it's not anything to do with whether or not we're able to read each other's body language or facial uh, expressions or so. It is about how we approach the problems that we're trying to solve. Your problem is you want to teach, you want to convey information to your students. And next to that conveying of information, which is plain like purely focused on transferring content, you're also facilitating, which means you're holding a container, you're creating structures and helping people to internalize that content that you're giving them in your teaching through your facilitation. At the same time, you might also step into mentoring or coaching and help individuals depending on the situation. Recognizing where you are, which stance you're taking in your teaching is a first step. The next step would be looking at the content that you're trying to convey and then asking yourself, is it possible to convey this knowledge? Is it possible to transfer this content? without facilitation and that's where the key difference is many online courses are a bunch of videos that people just watch on their own right and then as a teacher you you feel resistance because you really want to be there with your students you want to guide them you want to coach them you want to really see where they struggle and where you know how their facial expression is but if you look at the data, you also see that many online courses, even in universities, are doing better than in-person or in real-time video courses. And what I have come to discover in this experimentation and learning journey is that mixing to two would be the best way forward. It is, in fact, how I developed my own course in online facilitation. So I teach people how to facilitate online. And part of what I learned is it's it's good and even encouraged to transfer some of the content asynchronously, giving it to the people in the form of a video or a text or an audio, and allowing them the freedom to consume it when they are mentally ready. And then the live interactions, the video conversations, would then be focused solely on facilitation, for which Again, I I go a lot back to creating very explicit agreements with people as I am facilitating a session for them. So in my facilitation, I divorce myself from content, and I only focus on the container. So instead of needing to look in the camera to connect, I can indeed look at the screen because I acknowledge it in the explicit agreement that the reason why we're there is for me to hold this container for the students to explore to do the exercises to practice together and that I would be looking at them on my screen so that I can guide them better so as you see or you hear the difference is in accepting it first and foremost internally for ourselves and then taking advantage of the of the benefits of this digital tools that we have at our disposal acknowledging that there is two different ways to communicate. One is synchronous, it's in real time. And the other is asynchronous. That is, you don't necessarily need to be online or present at the same time to convey that information. And then the layer that I mentioned in the beginning is making a difference between teaching and facilitation and choosing where you're stepping into for each part of your teaching.
0: Like It keeps getting more and more branches. Okay. So I'm going to back, I'm going to rewind a little bit. So I have a bunch of stuff I want to ask about this. And I also want to thank you because you just made me realize something. When you said in the very beginning of that answer, that when I'm there that I want to teach when I'm in the room, I started thinking about that. And I, that is my purpose, but I don't know if personally, if that's what I want, because to me, when I'm in a room with a bunch of students, it's like playing music and they're the people that I'm playing music with. And if I, in Zoom, the parallel would be, it's like, I can't hear the other people that are playing if I'm only looking at the camera. So I'm just totally focused on what I'm doing, but I need that social component. And that, I mean, I don't know what you said, kind of just made that pop into my head and it's really, it's something I'm going to have to think about more, but um when you move into this asynchronous thing, I just took a class that worked like that. And I really enjoyed the fact that I could do it at my own pace, but I did miss that social component to it. So how do
1: you? Yeah, that's exactly why I brought the social component into my course, because I realized that if I keep it only as a self-paced course, people will miss that part. So we had a five-week course in five modules to be completed each week. We even incorporated different learning styles. So I had videos and text and audio, and I had interactive exercises that they had to complete. And the interesting thing is I made sure that people did not have access to future modules unless they had completed each module. And at the end of each module, we came together in a live session where I was divorced from teaching, from content. I was only holding space allowing the students to connect together on the contents that they had just learned and had interactive exercises that they had to go through to really experience what they had learned and put it into practice. After all, I was teaching online facilitation and facilitation can only be learned through practice. Right? So when in the live session, my focus was let's create a safe environment where people can try, fail and learn. Right, so as I said, like the asynchronous delivery should not be the only way that we convey information, especially for a course, because we, as you said, we need that human interaction. So So mixing the two is bringing the best of two worlds together, right?
0: Yeah, what's interesting to me is that, um, one, that you've intentionally designed it that way, but I think what you said about completing one thing before moving on to the next, which seems like common sense, But what I did in the course I just took was I was like, nope, I'm going to batch this. And I did like all the quizzes and then all the reading and then all the other stuff. And I got it done, but I don't think it was the most uh, probably not optimized for my learning. It was optimized for finishing or or getting it out of the way. Yeah, that that
1: is the difference between uh, synchronous and asynchronous communication in general, Let's remember some of the meetings that we had when we worked from an office. So you go to this conference room. There's a bunch of your colleagues in the same conference room. We all sit around a table. And there is a manager at a higher rank who enters the room, and then everyone goes quiet. And the manager just puts up some slides on this, the TV that's installed in the conference room and starts talking. And you might be thinking in your head, yeah, I was just having a really nice conversation with Susan who's sitting next to me before the manager entered. I wonder what we're going to do after this meeting is over. That was a really good topic. We, We need to have that conversation for the project. And this manager is talking, right? Your mind is somewhere else. What I'm trying to say here is because we call people to a meeting. We expect them to be mentally ready to receive information. What this magical world of remote working is allowing us to do is to give people the freedom to take the information when they are actually ready. So in synchronous conversations, you say something as soon as you're ready, regardless of whether or not the recipient is ready to hear it. Whereas if you acknowledge asynchronous conversation, you say it when you're ready, but you allow the recipient to receive it when he or she is ready. Okay. And if you think about it logically, it makes a lot more sense to do it that way.
0: Yeah. And in this example, you you described a manager coming in to basically deliver information, putting up slides, pushing information out, not creating a collaborative dialogue. This isn't like, exactly. if I'm showing up and you and I, like what we're doing now, we have to both be willing, able, and ready to be part of this interaction.
1: Exactly. And okay. we, we almost never used to making sure that people are ready when we called for a meeting. We even called for a meeting when we were ready, regardless of whether or not the people we were inviting were ready. Yeah. So what? what asynchronous allows us to do is to have so much more effective in real-time meetings. Because if you focus on conveying information async, that means you write things down and you try to cook the idea fully before you transfer it to someone else Yeah. versus coming and just popping up ideas that are not fully formed and not really knowing where you're going. And possibly in some cultures... And by culture, I'm not talking about country. I'm talking about company cultures. Okay. People at a higher rank of the hierarchy might just take over and yeah. not allow other people to, to have a say at all. Async is empowering our sync conversations, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And I, I want to push on it a little bit. So uh, there's an aspect of it I want to challenge. And where I'm sort of hoping to direct it is towards the idea of, you, know, you mentioned that person um, was concerned that people wouldn't be working if they weren't in an office. But the thing that Mm. I wanna start with is, I agree with everything you're saying, and at the same time, there's a part of me that, tools like Slack, Discord, I hate those things because yes, people get to communicate what they want when they want, but it's so hard for me to follow a conversation. It's not a conversation to me, it's-
1: That makes the two of us, I hate that kind of conversation too.
0: Okay, I thought you were going to fight four. Well, that's no fun. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so I'm what, sorry, but no, no, I did it's not good. like it's okay. that. It's good. I think chats are made for synchronous conversation. They're a replacement for our casual meetings that we used to have. They're okay. a replacement for our water cooler conversations. What I'm saying about async is a little different from that. You probably use a project management system, a task management system, maybe it's Jira, maybe it's Basecamp, maybe it's Asana or something else, Trello, whatever.
0: Right.
1: What people don't realize most of the time is that that tool is a communication tool next to being a task management tool. but. We often don't use it to communicate information to each other. So when I'm talking about async, I want you to also remember the principle of simplicity in Agile. Simplicity is the art of maximizing the amount of work not done, right? right? When it comes to tools that empower us to work remotely, guess what is the top question that people ask? What tool should I use in order to fill in the blank? And then they keep adding stuff, adding new tools to their tool stack. And what this does is that it actually confuses, it over the amount of information and the number of places you have to look for information. And as you said, tools that allow us to chat, they become a distraction. They bring us all the disadvantages of an office, which was we weren't allowed to be productive there because there was all these noises and all, all these spontaneous meetings. Now, when you're going to really focusing on a remote-first culture, you need to value asynchronous conversations. And going back to simplicity, that means maximizing the number of tools not used.
0: Oh, I like that. That's good.
1: So Um, take that in for a moment, maximizing the number of tools not used. That means if you can cook the information fully and convey it, In a relevant location, that would be your task management system. And the person who needs to consume that information at any time they need it, they can literally know where to look for information.
0: So one of the things that the company I work at, which is a completely remote company, um, that overwhelmed me when I first started was there was like every chat client, every alternative to Slack. I mean, it was like so much social media. And I'm one of those people that I just shut all that Mm -hmm. stuff off when I'm working because it distracts me. And I felt obligated to participate in everything. And then somebody explained to me that the intention with it was to let people engage when, how, and in whatever medium they chose. So if you're somebody that's really into you know, Discord, you can do it that way. If you want to use Skype, you can do that or whatever. It was your choice. And I, I can see that benefit too, but it also means that the messages are scattered all over the place and nobody knows where the main thread is.
1: Yeah, I do argue against that. I go okay. with simplicity whenever possible. I say, if you can use one tool to help you with consolidating all the information in one place, that trumps everything else. Okay, having information scattered guess what it brings us let me just give you an example of the old office days yeah exactly it's disharmony the example that just popped into my head was you're in a rush, you have a deadline, you're a project manager or a product owner, and you really, really need some information from someone, you know who has the information because you have all these relationships internally in the company. And what do you do when you're in an office? You run to that, that person's cubicle or you know, team room, wherever they usually sit, and you tap them on the shoulder. They take off their headsets and they respond to you. You ask your question, you have the answer, you walk away and you're yeah. happy. So when when we don't have that consolidation of information in a remote setup, guess what happens? You try to send an email, send a chat message, and if no response, you pick up your phone and call them. And in a remote setup, that person might be like you, having shut off all the notifications because they need to be in the flow and they need to be productive. You can no longer tap them on the shoulder. So it becomes an individual responsibility to get information out of our heads and into a single source of truth so that whenever our exactly so that when our colleagues need them they can easily and readily find them without needing to chase us
0: wow okay all right that's not easy
1: no it's it's not it's
0: i mean it's a really interesting viewpoint um so can I switch gears a little bit and move into stuff for people that are actually pre- like working on teams? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I did when I first started was as a project manager, but I guess for the way I was working, the parallel would be a Scrum Master. Now, um, I would have put in a room with a team of developers. Didn't know anything about these people. They were really close and tightly knit, and I was clearly not of their kind. The way that I got. To learn about these guys was I noticed things like what music they listened to, what books were sitting on their desks that they were reading, um, just all these little clues that I would pick up about their personalities. And so I started to read the same books and I started to watch the same shows and listen to the same music so that I could meet them where they were and learn how to engage with them and try to get to them in a place outside of work so that I could bring that relationship back to work. We were friends first, then we can talk about work. And that's sort of how I social engineered my way into the group. If I'm fully remote, I can't like, I can't walk by your desk and see like, Oh, you got a picture of your cat or, you know, whatever thing it is. Um, a lot of people now, like you had a screen up behind you before we started. If I can't see that stuff or if I don't have the ability to engage with people that way, how do I start to establish that foothold of a personal relationship that I need to build the working relationship?
1: As individuals, I'd say we need to create serendipitous moments to meet our colleagues And it does not come naturally for new remote workers because you've never really worked that way. We need to develop the courage to ask questions. In some companies, in some teams that I work with, we create uh, channels in Slack or rooms in Microsoft Teams for talking casually, talking about everything non-work related. At one of my clients, they had a bunch of channels called Random Each of them were around a certain interest. So when a new person joined the company, they were encouraged in their onboarding process, in their remote onboarding process, to look for all these different channels, starting with random dash, and figure out which one they wanted to join. There were channels like random cat pictures, random dog pictures, and random pet pictures, where you could see all sorts of weird pets. There was random reading and People shared what they were reading in that channel. Now, this was a company level, but you can also do the same thing for your team level.
0: Almost like your own personal Reddit.
1: Almost, yeah. But then there is this other level of facilitation, of leadership. And that is, as remote leaders and coaches, we need to also learn that our job is not only dedicated to when we have meetings, our job develops beyond that we need to be facilitating also when we're not in a meeting that is asynchronous facilitation and part of it's an interesting role that actually exists if you look for remote jobs you'll probably stumble upon a job called virtual office manager virtual office managers work like secretaries used to do in in our physical offices or office managers in physical offices and part of their job is what I like all the agile coaches and project managers and generally leaders to actually learn how to do and that is how to create engagement online in chat and this is particularly for chat tools or if you have tools that I don't really like Facebook for work but some companies use it Whatever tool that you're using for socializing, you also need to learn how to create engagement and do online community management through that. And it's it's not that difficult to learn, actually. One of the things that I can say, which is very concrete, like this is a how-to guide of how to do this. You can create a channel or a room and call it, say, games. And every day, post a question and ask people to answer that question in a thread. You can ask questions such as, share a favorite photo of your favorite vacation, or share a picture of an animal that you like. It's it's kind of going into people's personal interests, but slowly you can build that trust in the team. And this is not about just sharing. After people have shared, you as an online facilitator need to still create engagement. So now you're going to come with the next question. Say like, which animal surprised you the most out of all these animals that people shared? Or what did you think about it? And keep asking those open-ended questions and encourage people to respond. This is super easy, very low cost, and it does create a little bit of closeness amongst the people, and then they dare to talk to each other, to chat with each other a little more openly. But it needs to be part of your onboarding. It needs to be part of your HR policies to create the possibility for people to socialize together. And it does not necessarily need to happen in meetings.
0: So you said it's really easy, but the thing that, um, I mean, I got my start doing community stuff at Nickelodeon. The thing that I'm thinking about with what you just said that I didn't do when I started doing this stuff was it's it's easy to post a question what's not easy is the thought and the care that goes into the curation of the online community and engagement i mean that that is has to be a very intentional thing
1: yeah that's why there is an actual job there are people who are trained for this They're called virtual office managers or online facilitators. Hire them and they can do a fabulous job for you. Another job title for this is online community manager. Many of these online community managers have been working for many years managing Facebook groups for a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah they can easily transfer that knowledge into whatever tool it is that you use at your company. But these people have the skills. They've been doing this for years. Get them to help you learn (laughs) from them.
0: Oh, so you mentioned before about the facilitation part. That takes a lot more effort than a lot of people realize, right?
1: Indeed, indeed.
0: So how much time, I mean, for for like an hour, if you're going to run a session online, That's an hour. How many hours do you think you put into preparing for something like that?
1: When I'm agile coaching, this is part of my daily activities. Because if I was in an office, part of my daily activity would be yes, facilitating meetings or designing a workshop that was upcoming. The other part would be observing, walking around, looking at how people are doing, having casual conversations. I still do that when I'm working online. I look into the task management system. I look at whether or not people are feeling that they're getting information by looking at their chat conversations. I talk to people individually sometimes. And by talk, I mean, I mostly resort to asking them, hey, would you like to have a coffee with me? And then I wait until they respond. And when they do, we schedule a time to have a coffee. So can can I
0: interrupt you on that one for a second? Yeah, of course. Sorry, I, I just this is a thing that I struggle with. So, I understand the intention that that you would be coming to that question with. You want to carve out a space where you and another person can interact, maybe not about work stuff, but where your fo- your focus is different. Um, a lot of people now are doing things like online happy hours and stuff like that. If I'm in my house and you and you send me a message that says, "Would you like to have a coffee?" There's this introverted part of me that's like, that's just fake. Can't you just ask me the question? Like, how how do you
1: create
0: how do you create a space where somebody like me is not going to recoil from that? Because we've established this working agreement that that is sort of like a code for, hey, let's just talk about casual stuff.
1: Mm, I understand that. Again, I, t- I usually do this as part of my introduction into a new team or my introduction into a new company. Or if it is my own company, that would be part of the onboarding.
0: Okay. So
1: if if I have never met you before and I yeah. suddenly say, hey, let's have coffee, that's really <laughs> you
0: weird. You freak, no way.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if, and if I am a manager or an agile coach and you're a developer, that's even intimidating. You're like, what is this person going? Well, what did tell I do me?
0: wrong? Just tell me what I did exactly. wrong. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So my answer is literally, let's be human. Come from a place of vulnerability when you're new, first and foremost. So When I'm new into a team, I don't go and say, hey, let's have coffee, and my intention is to casually meet you. I'd say, hey, I am new here, and I am clueless about what you do. Would you be open to explaining to me what your role is, what products you're working on, and tell me a little bit of information about this company as a whole? I I am really interested in understanding your point of view. And I am genuine when I'm asking that. And who doesn't like to help a colleague?
0: Okay.
1: Right? So the next time, if I want to have, if I'm just interested in having a casual conversation with this person for the sole purpose of socializing, I again, check in with myself first. And I think, what is driving me to want to just have this casual conversation? And oftentimes it's either I'm, I'm frustrated about something that's going on and I just want to vent or I want to have a second opinion about something. Yeah. So I don't just go on and say, let's have coffee. I say, hey, I'd really like to talk about this with someone. And I think you're the best person for that. Would you be open to having a coffee with me and talking about this? So you see, I give the context and you that takes yeah. away the awkwardness. Okay. And we need that because we are no longer in an office.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I think there's like a social engineering component to that. Like you you have to create the framework for it to not be weird.
1: You do need to be intentional about creating trust. That's very true. Trust is no longer there just because you are working under the same roof. Yeah. Or because you have the same badge of a company. Trust needs to be intentionally created. And guess how trust is created? How? Being human. Being vulnerable <laughs> and delivering is, on what you promise.
0: Which is is easy to say. And a lot of people are going to shy away from it. Like when you first said be human, I'm like, what? No, we have to work. We don't have time for that nonsense. Um, yeah,
1: exactly. Let's be robots. Let's continue <laughs> being robots.
0: <laughs> so I, I feel like I could ask you questions for hours, but I want to focus on one last thing before we talk about the conference and, and your book and everything. Um, you've been doing this for a while and – I'm curious about whether or not you are, I'm assuming you were, I don't know if you still are, running like weekly experiments, testing different things out, trying to discover new things about better ways for you to work, or do you, is this something you've pretty much got sorted out for yourself?
1: Uh, you touched me on my weak point, right? <laughs> <laughs> so in, in the preparation to this podcast, I did give permission to be asked this question, and I'm going to be human and vulnerable with all of you guys listening to this. When the pandemic hit, as a remote worker, it hit me for the first time that I did not have a desk in my apartment. I live in a small apartment in central Stockholm, Sweden. And not having a desk had never been an issue because I never needed to work from home. I was traveling. I was working from hotel lobbies and cafes around different cities in the world. And even when I was in my hometown in Stockholm, I still moved around and I worked from my favorite locations around the city. And now, having had to work from home for so long, I ordered a desk. I got a—it's kind of an uncomfortable chair, which was a dining table chair. I have just ordered a new chair that's, that would be it's arriving soon. A good, good chair me. is really important. It is important, and I'm just realizing that. So, short answer <laughs> is no, I have not figured out a working work setup for me. My work setup was portable. I have a really good camera, a really good microphone, that I can transfer wherever I go. It all fits into a very small bag, and I am a minimalist, so I actually don't acquire a lot of stuff. Okay. But this work from home has been hard, even for those of us who have been working remotely for a long time, because it's not the same. It really is not the same.
0: Well, and working if you're... remotely. Okay. Sorry. No, go ahead. If you are somebody like you, you're a cafe person, I am the opposite of that. I can't function in those kind of environments because it's too much stimulus for me. Being trapped at home because of COVID's got to make that a lot harder too for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am actually a mix. Okay. I don't identify as an introvert or an extrovert because I think I'm in the middle. Like sometimes I actually need my quiet individual space. I think I do get a lot of energy as an introvert for being alone, and then I also have an extrovert side, which is I do need to be around people. I do need to have that kind of environment like a cafe and meet random people. But it's the interesting part of that is working from home has been hard for both sides of this spectrum. <laughs> And that's because it's not really, it's not the essence of remote work. Remote work in essence is about freedom. It's about having the freedom to work anywhere you are most productive, whether it's your home office, your actual office, a library, a cafe, wherever you feel most productive. When I'm writing a blog post or when writing my book, I actually worked from the library, I did not manage to sit in a cafe with all the noise around me. I needed that quiet. Okay. So there, there is like both sides of this. Working from home in 2020 has been a challenge for everybody.
0: Yeah. It's interesting what and you said about freedom. It's taken our freedom away.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It has taken our freedom away. And it's nothing to do with remote working. If you were working from home prior to 2020, it was your choice.
0: No, it's not. Huh. Well, that's that's not a very positive ending, but I wanted to ask you about the conference too. Can we talk about the conference in the book?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's get <laughs> excited and talk about the yes, conference. Now that we've so talked this- about taking
0: their freedom away.
1: Well, guys, I'm sorry that your freedom has been taken away, but guess what? You're learning how to work remotely, at least a version of that, that's from home. And once you have honed all of those skills and we have a vaccine, you can go out and about and work from anywhere in the world. So what you're going through right now is... Building you up for that ultimate freedom that you're going to experience. Is that and, better?
0: Yeah, it's it's <laughs> much better. I, I was joking about it being negative, but um I
1: know yeah,
0: it's okay. I'm very sarcastic and I forgot to let you know that beforehand. Um, I found that switching to doing this stuff online has been really, really hard. But the thing that makes me grateful for it is I am much better at what I do than I was before this started. And it's all because of the restrictions that have been placed on me because of this stuff so i think you yeah, can we you
1: experiment have, more right yeah we experiment you, all the time
0: you can look at it there's a jocko Willenick thing where it's, you're just supposed to respond to every hardship as like good you know like you can't go outside <laughs> anymore good figure it out like get yeah. better and and that's the thing as long as you keep getting better then it all works out
1: you're literally describing my life that's how i grew up it wow. was hardship after hardship after hardship. I was like, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, well, that's probably yeah, another we're podcast. Yeah, we talk about the
1: conference. Though, yeah, let's right? talk
0: about that. <laughs> <laughs> schedule that conversation for later. But yeah, what about the conference?
1: Absolutely. Uh, so the conference is called Remote Forever Summit. And the mission is to bring remote working to Agile. And as I said earlier in this episode, I have been... Uh, working on this summit since 2017. So every year we've had a version of the summit. And I usually bring amazing speakers on the summit. And this year in 2020, it's happening on November 11th. It's a six-day event and you're going to see stories from the speakers. So I know that many of you have been going to a lot of online conferences this year and that you've been seeing a speaker coming to the screen, sharing their slides and their video camera, like their video image becoming a small square or a circle next to their slides. And they walk you through the slides. And every once in a while, you're discouraged to even hear what they are saying. So I changed that. I have asked all of the speakers to share inspiring stories. So if you are into that, if you really want to learn from people who have been working remotely in Agile for over a decade, this is the place to go. And it's free to join. There is also going to be a full day open space session, in addition to daily open space sessions and networking opportunities. And since it's free, why not join right now? You can go to remotefeversummit.com and just get your free pass. There is an option to upgrade to a paid pass, which gives you access to all the content after the summit, plus a lot of bonuses from speakers, sponsors. And usually, I give people who buy the premium access pass discounts and sometimes free access to our other courses and material. So according to previous attendees, previous premium members, it's a no-brainer. But you get, to ch- you get the chance to see for yourself what the free content is. And if you want, support me so I can also bring this to you next year.
0: And you've got some really great people like Lisa Atkins is going to be there. And Jurgen, you know, familiar names, uh, Jurgen Apello, names that are familiar to the people that listen to the podcast. So I'd encourage everybody to check it out. And what if they want to find out about your book or your, uh, the online class in facilitation that you mentioned?
1: For all the other non-summit material, you can go to remoteforever.com and you'll find all the information there. If you're listening to this before November of 2020, our website is still going under uh, through some development and rebranding. So you might get a little lost, but come back again after November of 2020 and hopefully everything would be in place.
0: And you can always, if you want, you can send me an email as well. And then when I get the stuff, the details from you, I'll forward it on to folks too. Um, Sounds great. And they can find you on Twitter and LinkedIn and all that as well?
1: Uh, Yes, on Twitter. It's also at Remote Forever. Okay,
0: cool. Well, Malud, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking time out for this. And good luck with the conference. This is really amazing that you're doing this stuff.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all the listeners for staying until the very end.